Hello there, I'm Yonka Kamara. Welcome to Kume Turning Point Diaries, where we share stories of critical moments in our personal and professional lives. Today is just going to be me. <laughs> There's no guests. It's just going to be me talking, um, talking about my practice of self-knowledge. I, in the last episode, I introduced this um, concept, Nyerong, um, which means self-knowledge in my familial language of, of Kronko from West Africa. And I really wanted to spend some time to just go deep about it and, and share my personal like practice. So I hope that you find this helpful for you. I really want to challenge each and every one of you to implement some form of self-knowledge because this is what this platform is about. It's about exploring ourselves, understanding ourselves, understanding our infinite capacity and the power we have to to transform, to change, and uh, create the world that we want. So that's the purpose of this episode, and I hope that you enjoy it. So self-knowledge is at the core of of this podcast um so there's a word in my familial tongue kronko and the word is nyerlong and it means self-knowledge i've heard this word before but when it really stuck with me was in july of 2019 we went to sierra leone and that was the last time i was in sierra leone and we went to Dankwali, the village we're from, and my father has established a school, a secondary school there that does just incredible work. And I hope to one day talk more about it on this show. But anyways, we went to the school to see some of the upgrades. They now have solar panels at the school and whatnot and talk to the students. And at the entrance of the school, there's a billboard with the school's motto. And the motto is Nyerlong, self-knowledge. And reading it that day, it just clicked again, <laughs> given my introspective journey, my self-knowledge journey, it just clicked. It, it stuck with me this time. And fast forward to January of 2020, when I had the idea to create this podcast about personal journeys and lessons learned along the way, it it, it is about self-knowledge in many ways, but the word didn't come back to me. It only came back to me back in February, this this February, February 2021, when I was building the website for the podcast. And I wanted to have a section values. And I was thinking, what is my values? What's my values for the podcast? Because I think it's really important to have values. Like what what are you about? What do you stand for? What is your intention? And as I was thinking about that, Nierlong came up again for me. And I didn't put it, I haven't, I've yet to added that section in because I was really trying to figure that out. And I've had conversation with my dad to really understand that word. So Nier, Nier means like self. And then Long 
is your head knowledge. Knowledge is stored in your head. So self-knowledge. And, you know, there's ways that you, they use in the Kronko, like many indigenous languages. It's very tonal. It's very nuanced. So you, it's like know yourself. You say in a phrase and it's like about knowing yourself. And I think that's so powerful. And I think that's what I'm striving to do with this platform is to have people know themselves. It's an exploration of ourselves and an understanding of the infinite power and capacity we have within us to transform, to change and to create the the life and world we want. And when you hear somebody's story and hear them do it for themselves, you also feel inspired and also empowered to do that. To me, it's it, it's at the core of what I'm trying to build with this platform. So among many things, I am a finamusu and a finamusu essentially means a storyteller. I descend from a lineage of oral poets, historians called fina. And so finamusu is a female version of fina. And in our culture, finamusus are tasked with the responsibility of saying what needs to be said in difficult times. Essentially, there's a story that a Steve Job once came to, you know, to his team and asked them, who's the most powerful person in the world? And people were naming all kinds of stuff, you know, presidents or whatever, all these type of things. And he said, no, the most powerful person is a storyteller. A storyteller shapes our reality. And he considered himself to be a storyteller. And for me, I'm like, wow, that's amazing, right? When you think about creators, they're changing people's realities. Oprah is a storyteller, right? Um, so for a long time, this was not an identity that I necessarily embraced or was super proud of. It was an identity that my father, who's from this lineage, emphasized growing up in New York City. He was very proud of it and always emphasize the importance of stories and the power of stories. But I think as a kid, I had a very um, limited understanding of what storytelling is and what storytellers are. When I thought of storytellers, you know, for most people, they think of people sitting around a campfire telling stories. And so storytellers is not something that has any kind of like it didn't have the cachet that I guess I w I wanted. So when my father would say that he was a storyteller, to be honest, I was embarrassed <laughs> for a long time. I would find many ways to just tell people like his other accolades. Um, but over time, you know, I've come to realize that that was my insecurity and that wasn't his. But one thing that has really helped in me owning this owning this identity was therapy and through therapy, understanding the power of stories. During a conversation with my therapist, I can't remember the details about what we were talking about, but we were talking about a particular issue from my past uh, and experience. And at the end, when I finished talking, she said, Yonka, what if you told yourself a different story? And that just like... It was like the, it's like Oprah's aha moment. It was like my aha moment where it was like stories. Like this is all about stories. This is all about the stories we tell ourselves. And for some reason, it just clicked with, with me and clicked with my, this lineage and this history that my father was always trying to 
instill in us this pride about being a fina, being a fina musu. And, and I knew, I knew then that I wanted to do something with stories. I knew that I wanted to create something that would give other people the opportunity to share what like their discoveries, their life, the lessons that they've learned along the way and share their personal stories. Um, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> I don't have a training in that. But I think that, you know, at the core of therapy is talking. And so I wanted us to talk. I think too often we talk, but we don't say the things that need to be said. And because of that, we don't necessarily see each other or understand one another. And so I wanted to create a platform like that or create something that would do that. And I chose podcasts because I'm an avid listener of podcasts. I, I, I consume podcasts all the time. Like before the pandemic, I was listening to music. I was listening to podcasts. If my headphones were on, I was listening to a podcast. And one time I was listening to a podcast. And when I got off, got out the train station at Union Square, I remember this so vividly. This was in January. Um, it was like late January, January 2020. And I got off my stop at Union Square where I used to work and walking up the stairs, listening to a podcast. And I was listening to, I was actually listening to Mimi and Alex Icon. They're, they're entrepreneurs, incredible people that have been following for many years now. And they're actually the founders of this journal that I use called the five minute journal. I think I've shared here about that journal and the impact it has had on me in terms of like, you know, having a daily ritual of gratitude. Um, so anyways, I was listening to their podcast and they had just started their podcast and I was listening to it and I got walking up the stairs. Something in me just said, I'm going to create a podcast. And that's what I did. And I was so excited about it that I went to work and <laughs> told my colleague Yolanda about it. And I was like, I'm going to create a podcast. And she said, great. I think you'll be great. You're always, you have so much to share. And I always love talking to you, you know. Um, and later that afternoon, I was going to an event that was in preparation for Black History Month and it was gathering specifically black and brown professionals to talk about race in the workplace. And I went to it with this excitement for my podcast and something in me again told me to share this. As I shared, I was like, I'm going to create a podcast. And everybody was super supportive. They were like, yes, when you create it, let me know. I'll be happy to be a guest on your show. I knew that I wanted it to be personal stories. I knew that because of my journey, I wanted it to be where people are sharing their journeys. And mind you, many of these people I was just meeting for the first time, but they were so supportive of this idea that I have. And since then, you know, several of my first guests on season one were from, from that event. Um, Erica Brago is from there. Um, Michelle from episode two was from that event. And so crazy to see, you know, sometimes just saying something. I'm a big believer that if you, feel something and you're excited about something, share it because you, you never know, right? Just, just putting it out there in the universe. It's almost like holding yourself accountable to your dreams, right? I think because I said it loud and said it so proud, it made it possible 
for people around me to support that and for for them in many ways to follow up and be like, how's the podcast? You know, and so I'm very proud of myself and for that moment of knowing that I wanted to do this and obviously sharing that um, dreams with my father and some other close friends who have just been so helpful in making this possible. And um, now more than ever, I'm so proud of being a storyteller. Now I now understand that, you know, our stories help us understand ourselves and what we've been through in order to make the necessary changes to move forward. And this podcast in many ways is me stepping into my lineage um, and being able to do in a new way to bring those stories to life and help people see themselves and understand themselves in new ways and create new realities and make the changes to live the life of their dream. So that's what occupies me now, especially with the podcast that I have, Word Kume. And Kume, it's storytelling at its core. It's talking. It's having honest conversations about our personal journeys and the lessons learned along the way. And for the podcast, it was very important for me, again, because I was leaning into my personal identity, my my lineage. I wanted the podcast to and the name to reflect something of that. So Turning Point Diaries was something that I came through with, but I wanted a word that also reflected me, you know, so if somebody saw it, they they would be curious, what is this word? What is this word kume? And kume means conversation. It means argument. It has all of the elements of like interaction, right? So when you think about conversation, there's arguments, not conversation, fight, like all that type of stuff. It has, it has drama, it has the power of stories. And so funny enough, um, I went to my dad and I told him about the idea and I was like, I have this word. I want a word that reflected. And I was like, what's a word in our language that has it? Because I don't speak Kronko. Kronko is a language. I don't speak Kronko. I can understand it when I'm in Sierra Leone with our family for some time. I can pick up stuff, but I don't speak it fluently. So my dad is usually my point of connection whenever I need words and understanding things. And he said that word and, and it was perfect. It was short and it just fit. So kume and then turning point diaries. And yeah, I, I see kume now as I grow it. It's like house of stories and it could be so many different things because stories are essentially the communal currency of humanity. And the more we share, the more we see that we're not alone, the more we see how similar we are, that we have the same fears, the same same desires um and and that truly nothing is impossible like when you can hear somebody overcome something it can make you rethink your situation in a different way so i've been in therapy since 2016 and it's it's one of the best I say to everyone. <laughs> um, I think like I'm a walking promotion for therapy, but I say to people that therapy is one of the best things I've ever done for myself and is the best gift I've ever given myself. And I say that because of the discoveries I've made. So in 2016, I ended a relationship. It was 
in many ways, the most significant romantic relationship I'd had. I ended the relationship, but I was really, I was really down. Like, I remember I would cry every single day. I would wake up, cry, cry in the shower. I would even have to, like, as I was getting dressed, I would be crying, but I would give myself, like, when I finished getting dressed, I would give myself a pep talk. I would say, Yanka, we are going to go to work today. We are going to have a good day. We're not going to cry at work. It's going to be good. We're going to come home and da da da. Like, just really talk myself through my day and what my intention for my day was. And the whole time walking, I had to keep reminding myself because it's like, people can't see you crying on the train. Because for me, whenever I see somebody crying on the train, my heart goes out to them, but I'm also like embarrassed for them. So I didn't want to be that. I didn't want people to be embarrassed for me. So I'd go to work and I'll be okay for the most part during the day, but something would happen and I would start crying. I would run to the bathroom and there was one particular bathroom where I worked, where it was just one stall. So you could close the door and it could just be you. And I'll turn on the water and I'll just cry. And, you know, after a few weeks of that happening and looking back now, I can say that I was depressed. I was never diagnosed, but I was feeling a level of sadness and just, just lack of enthusiasm for life that I've never felt before and and I and I knew this was strange I knew this was not me and fortunate enough there was somebody a colleague of mine at where I worked who was a psychiatrist a psychologist a psychiatrist I can't remember which one I think he's actually a psychiatrist actually and I had a very good relationship with him so I went to speak to him and I said you know I've been sad you, about the breakup and he knew my ex-partner and I told him, I said, I haven't been feeling well since the breakup. I've been sad. I've been crying all the time. I know that you can't see me given that like we know each other. It wouldn't be wise for you to see me as a patient. Um, but if you know somebody I could speak to, it would be great. And up to that point, you know, I knew people growing up who were in therapy, but I never saw myself as somebody who needed therapy. I, I felt like, you know, therapy is for only when you had big issues, right? So I think for me at that point, I was like, this is a big issue. This is a crisis. <laughs> so I definitely need, need to go to therapy. And now my, my view on therapy is like, you don't need to be in crisis to go to therapy, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. But anyways, I spoke to him and he listened and he said, okay, Yonka, let me think of, think of someone and I'll get back to you. And the very next day he came back with a name and I, and he said, this is somebody I've known for many years and I think she would be great for you guys to connect. Um, and so I reached out to this woman and emailed her and she responded right away and she said, Wonderful, Yonka. I'm happy to talk to you. Let's connect on the phone for a consultation. And again, I had no idea what the process was going to be. I was like, okay, consultation. So we got on the phone the next day and we talked for an hour. You know, she just let me talk. And I was saying things that I didn't think that I, I needed to say. You know, at the end of the, the conversation, she asked me, how do you feel, Yonka? Do, is this something you want to continue? 
And, and at that point, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Cause there was like so many things. Cause she would ask me questions. I was like, yes, yes. I, I definitely want to continue this. And so she said, okay, um, let's have another meeting next week and we'll go from there. So like I said, I went into therapy because I was really sad about this breakup. And, and in the process, I made one of the biggest discoveries about me and which was up to that point. I was dependent on the validation of my parents. So quick background. One of the things that led to the breakup was just the lack of support I got from my parents. Um, I would say my, my dad and my, my mom, my stepmom, who I call my mom. Um, at the time, I just didn't feel like they supported the relationship. And we talked about this on episode 10 um, with my dad when I had my dad. So if you want to know more about that, go and listen to that episode to get his side of the story and my side of the story as well. So many people have experienced their parents not liking their partner and it's not the end of the world for them. And for me, it, it was almost like that. It was like a big deal. And going to therapy, I began to uncover why this particular thing was such a big deal for me. And up to that point, I was dependent on my parents' validation, but I didn't realize I was dependent on it. Um, again, another background. My birth parents have been separated, have not been together since I was born. I actually don't have any recollection of them together as a couple to the point that I'm like, they're similar, but they're so different that I don't understand how they got together. But Anyways, after I was born, I was in Sierra Leone and I was raised by my mom's parents for some time. And then I moved to the States and then I was living with my dad and his new family, my stepmom, who I call my mom and, and their two children. And for some time there, I was going back and forth. Even though I was going to school in New York, my birth mom was living in Boston and I was going back and forth between New York and Boston, like on weekends to see my mom weekends. And it was taking a toll on me. Like I had so much anxiety because of that, like just not being able to really feel settled anywhere. And my parents being two very different people and having different ways of moving in the world. It was, it was a bit of a challenge. And I think at some point my father felt that and asked that we make a decision on where I should be living permanently with more stability and only seeing the other's parent, you know, during holidays and whatnot. When that was put forth, I was like, okay, I'm going to live with my mom. <laughs> my birth mom, like, I'm going to live. Like, to me, it was like, okay, I was decided. It was the parent I hadn't lived with. So it was the parent I wanted to know more. I wanted to be with. And my mom said, no. She said, you're going to live with your dad. And I was really sad because to me the decision felt like a rejection of me it felt like my mom didn't want me and going through therapy and talking through it I remember now like my rationale unconsciously then became that my dad and my stepmom were the ones who wanted me and since they wanted me I was going to do everything to make them happy and proud of me and Again, this is all unconscious, but like going forward, I 
did everything that would make my parents proud. I was the kid that did not, I didn't rebel. I was good. I did well in school. I didn't challenge. Like when most kids, like my siblings were, you know, rebelling as teenagers, I was, I was good. You know, I had an attitude here and there, but for the most part, like I, they didn't have to worry about me. You know, I was very independent and I also had parents who were just very supportive. They were very supportive. So me having this desire to make them happy and them just being naturally supportive was in many ways a recipe for for codependency. And up until that point, they always were proud of me and every decision I made. So when I started to date someone that they didn't approve of, it really became a rejection. I felt it as a rejection of me. Um and I can say that now because I've I, I've come to understand that's what it was. It wasn't even about the partner. It became more about me and the rejection of me. Because I know I have friends who who have dated somebody that their parents don't approve of. And they've been able, like, they've been not happy about it, but they've been okay to stand on their own and still continue with their relationship. But for me, this was such a big thing. And again, a part of me, I think, and even in this situation, it was like get to a point where my parents could be proud of me again. And that's one discovery I made. It was just like, wow, I needed their validation so bad. And when I didn't get it, it it turned my world upside down. I've been seeing the same therapist since 2016. She is white. She's a white woman. And from our second conversation when we met in person, she said to me, Yanka, you know, therapy is, is a very personal thing and you always want to feel seen. And so if at any point you're sharing something and you feel like I don't understand that experience because of you being a black person, let me know and I will try to connect you with another colleague of mine, peer of mine who is of your background that that will better understand you. And when she said that, you know, it it it, it meant a lot to me, you know, because I think for me it meant that she knew what her limitations were as a therapist, that like no matter your training, there were limitations to her lived experience. And especially because I was talking about being in a relationship that was due to to race, you know, um it was an interracial relationship and you know my parents lack of support was due to the fact that the person was of another race. And, you know, I think, and they, they had some concerns about whether or not how well supported I would be in that relationship and whatnot. So I think she understood that. And so that meant a lot to me. And, you know, there are times, you know, I say something and she, she's like, do you feel like you're over explaining yourself? And I've never felt like I was over explaining myself. I really feel like she's somebody who, who got me. And I got her and, um, and I love the way she, she always received my truth with such care. For me now, when people ask me, how do you get into therapy? I always say, make sure you have a consultation. I think most therapists do that. Talk to them, have a feel for the person because it, it is a connection. You know, it's like some people are like, Oh, I started therapy, but therapy didn't work for me. I'm like, it didn't work because you didn't have a connection with that person. Um, when you have a connection with somebody, you know, you will know when you've, you've been, when you feel like you've been heard and being seen.
and to be in a space where you feel like the person has empathy for you and feels you and, and wants you to really heal, you know, and it's not just sitting there scribbling on a pad. Um, like the way she looks at me, the just, there's just her whole, her whole demeanor, um, really receives me and receives what I'm saying. So to me, that's really key. And I've worked through what initially led me to therapy, but I continue to say because of the discoveries I've made along the way. And for me, I think that's the power. It's like discoveries and understanding yourself. And constantly, I think we are not stagnant. We're always growing. And therefore, we need to constantly be exploring ourselves and who we are at the stage and phase of our lives and the season we're in. I I want therapy to be accessible to people. It's available, but it's not necessarily accessible. And, you know, there's many ways that people go in terms of accessing therapy now, you know, virtually whatnot. I don't think personally I would have been able to be in therapy for as long as I have been if I didn't have that in-person connection with her. Now, you know, since the pandemic, we've been doing things virtually via like a, it's not Zoom, but she has a special platform where we see one another. But for me, you know, being in person with her and seeing her receive me the way she has every single session is so key. Um, so trust that to our listeners who are curious about trying out therapy, trust yourself. If you're talking to somebody and you don't feel it, it's okay. You can actually ask them, you know, do you have recommendation of somebody else? I, I just don't feel the connection. And a good therapist won't be offended. A good therapist wants you to be comfortable. A good therapist wants you to feel safe. Cause when you feel comfortable and safe, you will be in a better position to do the work. And by work, I mean, go deep, go deep, go to the places that you have never gone before with anyone. Go to the places that moments in your life where it's triggering, you know, um, but they, they have you because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to go there because you don't feel that the person has you. There are times I'm in a therapy session and I cry, you know, you're crying for your past self. You're crying for that child in you that made that rationale to move forward, but never really healed from that, you know, and crying for that. So to find a good therapist, it's like word of mouth and be open that you're looking for a therapist. That's because there's still some stigma around therapy that people are not afraid to tell people that they're looking for a therapist. But ever since I started going to therapy, I've like shared it, tell my friends. And when they started to like, they're like, oh, I want a therapist. You know, they would ask me, do I know somebody? And then I'll ask my therapist. And, you know, sometimes she'll have a consultation with them and then recommend them to somebody else. But I think there's something about word of mouth. You know what I mean? Like if you go to somebody that already kind of knows you or knows somebody who knows you, you have a better chance of finding a good therapist. I have no problem if a friend of mine sees my therapist, right? Because our relationship is very different and the things that we're working through are very, very different. So um, so I say, ask around, really ask around. I, I get very happy when I hear people post and say, I love my therapist. Like if you see somebody post that, message them, be like, you know, 
That's so amazing that you love your therapist. How did you find your therapist? You know, um, is your therapist taking new clients? Could I talk to your therapist and see if she can connect me to somebody? Like, just ask. So word of mouth, it's always the best way <laughs> to find somebody. Um, I think reading reviews are great, but you don't know the person you're reading a review from, right? It's just like even like sometimes you go to a restaurant and sometimes you take a chance and you go to that restaurant and you enjoy the restaurant and you read the reviews people have said about the place and you're like, what? And it's because like they're bringing in their own personal experiences to that. So I say, if somebody you know is already in therapy and they enjoy their therapist, ask them. That's that's the best way. You know, for everybody, this is just one way of knowing yourself. This is my personal journey, my personal practice of self-knowledge and understanding who I am and discovering my infinite capacity to transform, to change and live the life that I want. And so I encourage everybody to explore that. What is, what is one thing that you can do on a regular basis that connects you to yourself and connects you and make, enables you to better understand yourself. I think that is so, so important. And it doesn't have to be therapy. Therapy is just one way. Therapy is one of many ways that I do it. Journaling is another way. This podcast is another way. <laughs> Listening to people and then reflecting on my experience is one way. But I think it's important to have some kind of practice. Practice is key. Practice that connects you to you. I hope that this episode inspires you in some way to find that for yourself. And I'm very curious to know what practices you guys are doing. So comment on this episode. And if any of you guys are willing to come on the show to share your practice of self-knowledge, your nirong, come on, you are welcome. And I want to wish you all the best on your journey, on your self-discovery, your self-knowledge journey. And know that it's lifelong. The only time you stop learning about yourself, stop knowing yourself, is when we cease to be. And to that point, you are never done knowing yourself. So, know yourself. This episode was directed by DRC Jaye and co-produced by the AMBC. Please leave us a review and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Turning Point Diaries. I'm your host, Yonka Kamara. Kume, until next time. Theme music by Exile Dynamics featuring more box.